About uh, one year ago, I stood out at the ancient sacred site in Lyra, Sealand, and announced the recovery of this octennially recurring uh, Nordic animist or heathen celebration that today we call the 2023 Aun year. There's been an overwhelming, overwhelming reception of this push to take back that most sacred holiday of our ancestors. I'm just going to bring you a couple of concrete recommendations for how to celebrate the Aun year at the end of this video, because we just opened this call uh, and through the global dialogues that have played out during the last year, some really amazing realizations of the deep meanings of this celebration has emerged. And uh, you can find some of these dialogues in the own playlist here on my channel. But I've also become aware of some perhaps flaws in my communication that I really need to address first, because I've actually also gotten some negative reactions to this idea of recovering the Octennial Heathen Festival under the contemporary header of the Aun year. Some have experienced this as affronting, that this call for healing of our decrepit and toxic attack on connectedness in this world is done under the name Aun, which could be seen as the name of the rupture, because King Aun killed his own children in order to live forever, and this deeply pathologically gruesome behavior is indeed a weird thing to celebrate. Well, it's not being celebrated. Guys, you know, the celebration is the antidote. The ancient Greeks, they used to celebrate the Kronia, you know, a celebration named after the proto-deity Kronos, who ate his own children. Now, does that mean that the Greeks celebrated eating their own children, or that they called on this behavior? <laughs> no, the English still celebrate uh, Guy Fawkes Night. Does that mean that the English are thereby invoking or celebrating this attack on their social order that uh, Guy Fawkes represents? No, they're burning Guy Fawkes. And in a similar way, the own celebration is not a tribute to murdering your own children. You know, it is the antidote. And perhaps that should have been somehow more upfront in our communications on this throughout 2022. Now, the Aun celebration is timed by the realigning of the cycles of the sun and the moon, as the new moon this late December fell shortly after the winter solstice. This aligning of the solar and the lunar year it means that the solar and the lunar year begins together. And in my sort of dialoguing with this material, the sun and the moon both emerging together from this full darkness, the new moon at the winter solstice, that is somehow a metaphor of alignment in spiritual patterns uh, or patterns of creation, and thereby relations, for instance, between humans and others in the land. And the um, German chronicler uh, Tietmar of Merseburg, who wrote about these celebrations around the year 1000, his description seems to perhaps indicate that something of that sort could have been perhaps the ritual objective when Danes and Norwegians gathered in Lyra every eight years. As it says in a translation of this chronicle, this ceremony of this festival uh, would 
do service for them with those who dwell beneath the earth and ensure their forgiveness for any misdeeds. Now, in my view, this superficially Christian-sounding language probably represents a reconnecting, a realignment, this forgiveness for misdeeds. This is a typical aspect of these festivals that return with many years in between in different human cultures. Perhaps a kind of purification as the purpose of this ritual. In a sense, it is the cycles of light themselves that call for the healing of that rupture, that unalignment which is expressed in the myth of Aun's atrocious murder of his children. Perhaps Aun's attack on connectivity is imaged in the way that the sun and the moon will now fall out of alignment again for the coming eight years, right? In order to fall back into alignment in a healing, you could say a healing of their relation in eight years again, um, when the solar and the lunar year will again begin at the same time. So here, in 2023, we use as a symbol for this alignment the Aun rune, which basically is a runic calendar expression of the year 2023. The solar rune or the Sunday rune is Fe, and the lunar rune is Ar. The runes uh, that in the runic calendar represents the solar cycle and the lunar cycle in this year. And these are symbols with strong associations of their own associations of fertility and blessing, right? Meaning a harmonious coexistence between human communities and the others that inhabit the lands. So these signs as symbols for the realignment here in 2023 stand to my eyes as a particularly beautiful sign of our contemporary attempt at recovering this ceremonial healing of the Aun rupture. They represent on two levels the cure of this ongoing wounding of connectivity in this world, which the myth expresses as Aun killing his own sons. They represent those aligned cycles of light that signal the Aun year, and, uh, and in, their me in their own meaning, they represent harmonious coexistence with others in the land. I encourage you to use this symbol, you know, do use it in the way you want, except for right-wing extremism and stupid shit, you know, and uh, I don't have any ownership over this symbol there. I always felt that this Aun perspective uh, had a nature that, that could not really be presented by one single person who was a nerd and sitting and nerdy, but that it needed some sort of community of people to grapple with it, um, which is also why um, I originally made the announcement uh, together with a group of people. Uh, and people have really been doing that, grappling with it, you know. So, and perhaps also the, those um, counter-reactions are, uh, are um, a sign that people are really feeling it, they're really taking it very seriously, you know. So Aun is in a sense similar to Guy Fawkes or uh, even more like Kronos uh, of the Kronia festival. These figures are deep mythic patterns of creations that plays out an ongoing cyclic rupturing and healing of the world. And this kind of mythology does not roll out a moral ideal for humans to live by. We're not supposed to be eating our children like Kronos or killing our children like Aun, right? 
It's not a moral message in that way. That is an extremely wrong way of reading these kind of myths. Kronos and Aun's gruesome infliction of death on their own family are expressions of deep, deep patterns of uh, creation. Perhaps they're also uh, cautionary tales. And, um, and perhaps these mythic expressions are so extreme in order to evoke a response from us, in order to call us into our role, which is healing this pattern of cyclic rupture, because that is the job of, of humans, to participate in this deep pattern cycle by contributing to the, the, the healing. So people have also been sometimes uh, indicating that perhaps I'm triggering them or creating dissolution by talking about this and talking about the Ragnarok. And, you know, in the context of this own myth and the gruesome nature of it, you could ask if that's actually not exactly the point, you know, to, to create a triggering. Myths are supposed to create relation in different ways. And a myth about an old king that murders his own children, you know, perhaps it's supposed to be triggering. But people also uh, had a problem that perhaps that I was talking about the Ragnarok and saying that we are doomed and stuff like that. And perhaps I am creating dissolution. But I also think that we need to face the reality of the cataclysm that our consumer system has created. So stop the video now if you don't want to face this reality, you know, this triggering reality, because I'm going to give you images of where we are. And I think there is hope, you know, <laughs> and I'll try to give you this hope. But if you want to live in la-la land, then don't listen to me. Don't listen to Graham Hancock and Joe Rogan and play PlayStation games and worry about football or believe in conspiracies or watch TV series about Harry and Meghan or fancy yourself an exotic self-image about being a pagan or being a witch or something like that. And while you live your middle-class life of extreme privilege and luxury, then spice up this self-image with tales of you still being tra a traumatized victim of something that is super abstract and dis distant so that nobody can really deal with it or analyze it or talk about it anyway. If you go do all these things, many do that. That's perhaps the triggering reality that we live in is the reason that people do these things so much. Because that doesn't entail the horror and the demand for responsibility and activism that comes with facing up to a real traditional knowledge perspective of what reality actually looks like. So here goes. The collapse in life on Earth that is already accelerating is of a magnitude that some would name the biggest in human history. And then they think that sounds real scary. But it's not just the biggest catastrophe in human history. Because the entirety of human history began with the emergence of writing only 5,000 years ago. That's what we define as history. Writing. You know? So let me put this entirety of human history a little bit into context. It is around 600 times the entirety of human history that this human ancestor here walked around in Ethiopia. That's about 3 million years ago. And from Lucy here, you have to go 66 million years back 
to find a collapse in life on Earth that matches what our system has created. This is the biggest collapse in life on Earth in a span of time that is around 13,000 times longer than the entirety of human, human history. I'm just going to take that one more time. We are facing the biggest collapse in life on Earth in a span of time that is around 13,000 times longer than the entirety of human history since writing was invented in ancient Sumer down in Mesopotamia. I don't know a nice, gentle, non-triggering way of saying that. A way that focuses on positivity and that handles all your multiple epigenetic traumas with exactly the right kind of kid gloves. In fact, I'm not even sure that it's, I think it's morally sound to jump through all kinds of hoops in order to avoid describing the biggest collapse in life since the dinosaurs in ways that are not a little bit disturbing, right? Should I really try to focus on positivity and on protecting your feelings when I'm talking about this apocalypse? Some have even said that I'm being man manipulative because I'm saying things straight up. I thought being manipulative was the opposite of saying shit like it is. Adult people face up to this. Some of them get climate anxiety and climate depression from it. That's very understandable. Perhaps it's even understandable that some run home to mum and Joe Rogan to live out their lives in infantile denial. But no. Traditional knowledge is a different path. It looks this darkness straight in the eye. It is that darkness which is expressed in ancient myths of kings and proto-deities murdering their own sons and killing their, eating their newborn babies. This is real traditional knowledge. And if you don't want real, then go find some aura reading, herbal, enema, wellness retreat or something. But you know what? In this traditional knowledge, there is also hope. You know, there's hope to be found because it teaches us about the deep problems and actually points towards the healing and to the paths that we must take. So think about the hopelessness and the darkness in Odin's struggle against Ragnarok that he knows is coming. Or think about the curse that the warrior Hervor assumes from her dead father in order to, to become that Viking hero that she's destined to be. So Hervor, she goes into the burial mound and talk to her father's revenant, um, which gives her the choice between leaving empty-handed uh, or getting the sword Tyrfing, right? But then she would have to take on the curse that follows the sword. She chooses the curse. And that curse is also a blessing in disguise, in a sense, because by taking on it, by facing it, by facing that resistance, that inevitability. She gets the swords and thereby becomes that, uh, or finds her warrior path, really. And I think Ragnarok is a little bit like that. There is a feeling of inevitability in it. But does Odin just lay down, you know, the fight and resignates? Or tell everybody that it's inevitable anyway because it's so predestined? Or that it's inevitable because it's super cyclical or something like that? No! Such a struggle might seem impossible, but little knows man, as the old Norwegian saying goes. Perhaps it isn't inevitable. Perhaps it is a deep structure in, in, in our reality, a potentiality 
that we can impact through our management of animacy, through our animism, really, rather than being uh, an inevitable future that is moving towards us in time, and joining those masses who are in fact facing this defining struggle of our time, the Extinction Rebellion, indigenous eco-activist groups. Recently we saw the Ende Gelände uh, in Germany, all the voices of different act activists around the world, the young neurodivergent woman Greta Thunberg, who stood at the towering walls of the UN, barely 20 years old, and spoke with truth, you know, with all the rage of seeing this darkness straight in the eye. Man, I'll never forget that moment, you know. That was some herd shit going on right there. There's community to be found in these groups, not only fighting for life on Earth, but finding each other in this fight. So if you feel the sting of climate depression, then join these powerful movements. Part of what the system does is that it ruptures people from each other. Like Noam Chomsky, you know, has been pointing out, pointing, pointing out for decades, it secludes us into these little hysterically narcissist, stressful career races. But we can take the first steps against this just by breaking isolation and joining those people who take up the fight and who will become the heroes of coming ages. These are the warriors who are taking up the fight to become the kind of ancestors that our descendants can be proud of. I'm in awe with respect for these youngsters. There is hope. And if the world is to collapse, you know, as the flames scorch the sky and the ice melts and let the waters of Jormungandr engulf us, then let us at least go down fighting it. Let us at least go down with a hell of a celebration where we call on those ancient forces that are the real friends and protectors of humanity. And perhaps, as in the Eddic poem, the Voluspar, a new earth will rise uh, from the waters uh, or we will find a way to avert the collapse or avert some of the collapse or we will learn how to reconnect in that process to safeguard guard our animist knowledge of connectivity so that we don't go back to this deeply pathological consumer system. You know, there is hope. There's a lot of it. But we have to fight for it. You know, we can't just lean back in our ultra-comfortable, hyper-privileged existence and ask uh, for positivity to be served for us on, on, a, on a platter. I also totally feel the sting of collapse, fear, and climate depression. But this shit here, this shit here, that's the cure. It's a real cure. At the end of the day, you know, what can be more hopeful than this symbol of the Aun rune, the sign of the solar and lunar cycles of this year, which expresses the alignment uh, of these cycles in symbols of fertility, you know, harmony between human communities and the land that we inhabit. So, rand over, I just needed to get some of that stuff off my heart. So yeah, people have also uh, been encouraging me to get a little bit more specific on exactly what to do when creating uh, these octanal healing celebrations during the Aon year. I did get specific but unfortunately not in a way where it's really viable to me for me to talk about what I did uh, online. 
But yeah, here's what I did. I contacted a man, uh, which for the purpose of this video here, we could call my teacher. And he's also an old and really close friend of mine who's uh, heading a small ritual group that I'm a part of. And he has this understanding of ritual and mythology that I consider second to none, really. It's a little bit difficult to describe. His uh, understanding operates 100% inside this deeply mythological uh, paradigm, but it has a level of precision and reflection uh, that matches the highest level of scholarship, really. So uh, I asked him uh, to take some time and have some talk chats with, with me about the Aon myth and ritual. And he agreed to do this, and we had a uh, small series of meetings where he was mostly talking, and I was literally struggling to not like literally pass out from the sheer cognitive overload of uh, listening to him. It feels like having your <laughs> brain put in some deep pattern mythology blender or something like this. So yeah, the good thing, the good news about it is that we did arrive at a beautiful and meaningful ritual that works as a beginning for how to conduct an Aon ceremony. Basically, a ritual planting of a tree, thereby creating a sacred site, a hub of human relation. So the bad news is that this kind of ritual uh, is, you know, in spite of the fact that I want to bring stuff out, is actually not a good idea to blast out on global social media. A ritual can be a touchy thing, and uh, some rituals are performances by nature, like the Yule Buck rituals that I've anchored now since 2018. They're supposed to be public. They're public performance. It's it's in there, it's in the performance. But this kind of ritual here is a little bit more intimate kind of thing and it's best to not, uh, not bring it out online. So we performed this ritual on January 6th at the, uh, the first uh, celebration of the Aon year in, of this year. Opened, we opened the Aon year and we did it in Idunskov, a regenerative farming project here in Sealand. My good friend Tors Liebgott and his wife Lena Singlesen, they did uh, ritual singing. Tors is this amazing but rather unknown musician. Uh, and uh, he, he had made some intense and powerful singing of uh, some old Norse poetry that uh, supported this ritual. And uh, Tors has made a lot of the music actually that I'm using on this channel here. Uh, and uh, we're hoping that he will start getting some of his stuff published. Get it published, Tors. You know, is the spirits that tell you. <laughs> so in the absence of me actually showing you our ritual, uh, I just want to encourage you all to do your own own rituals of healing. Uh, and this is a deep healing in this mythology, which is actually of a very general ritual. So I actually think it makes sense for you to call on those deities that you are normally building relation relation to, but do it under the auspices of the Aon year, under the header of the Aon year. And I recommend a couple of specific things. For instance, I recommend do using the Aon rune, doing it using the Aon rune in this symbol. Raise a figure of it or something. This is a symbol that relates what you're doing directly to what I'm talking about here, these aligning cycles of light, the lunar and solar cycles that mark the Aon year. The second recommendation uh, is to work with oath-taking. In the ritual that I made, we had an oath ring that I bought from the amazing Swedish smithy, Philip Lufolk. Uh, 
that you can find him particularly on Instagram. Oath-taking is at the same time a giving of yourself and a binding of yourself in with that deity or that thing that you're engaging. And this was an idea that originally emerged as I was communicating like in different threads, you're partly with Johan and Maria Hegg and partly with my own friend, uh, Professor Matthias Norvik. Uh, and you may, may know Johan Hegg, who is the lead singer of the band Amon Amoth, but his wife, Maria Hegg, uh, was a yoga teacher. And she was the one who had this idea that uh, the idea of sacrifice could be brought into a giving of some of yourself, giving some of your privilege. So for instance, uh, taking that into oath-taking, oath-taking could be addressing the own rupture directly and it could basically say stuff like, I vow to be a vegan for the rest of my life. That's a pretty big thing. Or I vow to never eat meat on Thursdays for the rest of my life. Or it could be, uh, you know, that you obligate yourself to something that contributes to the healing. And I'm aware that the people seeing this video or following this channel will not change the behavior of the entirety of the, of the Western population. But this is also about the invocation of doing that. It is invoking that in itself, that giving of yourself, binding yourself. And because this is ritual and it's operates with animacy, that seeds into deep layers of reality and into deep cultural layers. So, uh, and therefore, it, it, uh, I believe that, that these kind of actions do have an actual healing effect. So yeah, that's uh, all I have to give you. I hope it's, it's good enough. And uh, thanks for listening and see you around.